Our reading today is uh, from Genesis, starting at chapter 30, verse 25, and you can find that on page 29 of the Church Bibles. That's Genesis chapter 30, starting at verse 25. And uh, as Alan has already said, it's quite a long one. As soon as Rachel had born Joseph, Jacob said to Laban, send me away that I may go to my own home and country. Give me my wives and my children for whom I've served you, that I may go, for you know the service I've given you. But Laban said to him, if I've found favour in your sight, I've learned by divination that the Lord has blessed me because of you. Name your wages and I will give it. Jacob said to him, You yourself know how I have served you and how your livestock has fared with me. For you had little before I came, and it has increased abundantly, and the Lord has blessed you wherever I turned. But now when shall I provide for my own household also? He said, What shall I give you? Jacob said, You shall not give me anything. If you will do this for me, I will again pasture your flock and keep it. Let me pass through all your flock today, removing from it every speckled and spotted sheep and every black lamb and the spotted and speckled among the goats, and they shall be my wages. So my honesty will answer for me later when you come to look into my wages with you. Everyone that is not speckled and spotted among the goats and black among the lambs, if found with me, shall be counted stolen. Laban said, good, let it be as you've said. But that day Laban removed the male goats that were striped and spotted and all the female goats that were speckled and spotted, everyone that had white on it and every lamb that was black and put them in charge of his sons. And he set a distance of three days' journey between himself and Jacob. And Jacob pastured the rest of Laban's flock. Then Jacob took fresh sticks of poplar and almond and plane trees and peeled white streaks in them, exposing the white of the sticks. He set the sticks that he'd peeled in front of the flocks in the troughs, that is, the watering places where the flocks came to drink. And since they bred when they came to drink, the flocks bred in front of the sticks. And so the flocks brought forth striped, speckled, and spotted. And Jacob separated the lambs and set the faces of the flocks towards the striped and all the black in the flock of Laban. He put his own droves apart and did not put them with Laban's flocks. Whenever the stronger of the flocks were breeding... Jacob would lay the sticks in the troughs before the eyes of the flock that they might breed among the sticks. But for the feebler of the flock, he would not lay them there. So the feebler would be Laban's and the stronger Jacob's. Thus the man increased greatly and had large flocks, female servants and male servants and camels and donkeys. Now Jacob heard that the sons of Laban were saying, Jacob's taken all that was our father's, and from what was our father's, he's gained all this wealth. 
And Jacob saw that Laban did not regard him with favour as before. Then the Lord said to Jacob, Return to the land of your fathers and to your kindred, and I will be with you. So Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah into the field where his flock was, and said to them, I see that your father does not regard me with favour as he did before, but the God of my father has been with me. You know that I've served your father with all my strength, yet your father has cheated me and changed my wages ten times. But God did not permit him to harm me. If he said, the spotted shall be your wages, then all the flock bore spotted. And if he said, the striped shall be your wages, then all the flock bore striped. Thus God has taken away the livestock of your father and given them to me. In the breeding season of the flock, I lifted up my eyes and saw in a dream that the goats that mated with the flock were striped, spotted and mottled. Then the angel of God said to me in the dream, Jacob, and I said, here I am. And he said, lift up your eyes and see all the goats that mate with the flock are striped, spotted and mottled, but I have seen all that Laban is doing to you. I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed a pillar and made a vow to me. Now arise, go out from this land and return to the land of your kindred. Then Rachel and Leah answered and said to him, Is there any portion or inheritance left to us in our father's house? Are we not regarded by him as foreigners? For he indeed has sold us, and he has has indeed devoured our money. All the wealth that God has taken away from our father belongs to us and to our children. Now then, whatever God has said to you, do. So Jacob arose and set his sons and his wife on camels, wives on camels. He drove away all his livestock, all his property that he'd gained, the livestock in his possession that he'd acquired in Paddan Aram, to go to the land of Canaan to his father Isaac. Laban had gone to shear his sheep. And Rachel stole her father's household gods. And Jacob tricked Laban, the Aramean, by not telling him that he intended to flee. He fled with all that he had and arose and crossed the Euphrates and set his face towards the hill country of Gilead. When it was told Laban on the third day that Jacob had fled, he took his kinsmen with him and pursued him for seven days and followed after him into the hill country of Gilead. But God came to Laban, the Aramean, in a dream by night and said to him, Be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. And Laban overtook Jacob. Now, Jacob had pitched his tent in the hill country, and Laban with his kinsmen pitched tents in the hill country of Gilead. And Laban said to Jacob, What have you done that you've tricked me? And driven away my daughters like captives of the sword. Why did you flee secretly and trick me, and did not tell me, so that I might have sent you away with mirth and songs, with tambourine and lyre? And why did you not permit me to kiss my sons and my daughters farewell? Now you've done foolishly. It's in my power to do you harm. But the God of your father spoke to me last night, saying, Be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. 
And now you've gone away because you longed greatly for your father's house, but why did you steal my gods? Jacob answered and said to Laban, Because I was afraid, for I thought that you would take your daughters from me by force. Anyone with whom you find your gods shall not live. In the presence of our kinsmen, point out what I have that is yours and take it. Now Jacob did not know that Rachel had stolen them. So Laban went into Jacob's tent, and into Leah's tent, and into the tent of the two female servants, but he did not find them. And he went out of Leah's tent and entered Rachel's. Now Rachel had taken the household gods and put them in the camel's saddle and sat on them. Laban felt all about the tent but did not find them. And she said to her father, Let not my lord be angry that I cannot rise before you, for the way of women is upon me. So he searched but did not find the household gods. Then Jacob became angry and berated Laban. Jacob said to Laban, What is my offence? What is my sin that you've hotly pursued me? For you have felt through all my goods what you have found of your what have you found of your household gods? Set it here before my kinsmen and your kinsmen that they may be decide between us two. These twenty years I have been with you. Your ewes have not your ewes and your female goats have not miscarried. I have not eaten of the rams of your flocks. What was torn by wild beasts I did not bring to you. I bore the loss of it myself. From my hand you required it, whether stolen by day or stolen by night. There I was. By by day the heat consumed me, and the cold by night, and the sleep fled from my eyes. These twenty years I've been in your house. I've served you for fourteen years for your two daughters, and six years for your flock, and you have changed my wages ten times. If the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac had not been on my side, surely now you would have sent me away empty-handed. God saw my affliction and the labour of my hands and rebuked you last night. Then Laban answered and said to Jacob, The daughters are my daughters, the children are my children, the flocks are my flocks, and all that you see is mine. But what can I do this day for these my daughters or for their children whom they've borne? Come now, let us make a covenant, you and I, and let it be a witness between you and me. So Jacob took a stone and set it up as a pillar. And Jacob said to his kinsmen, gather stones. And they took stones and made a heap, and they ate there by the heap. Laban called it Jigar Sahaduta, but Jacob called it Galid. Laban said, this heap is a witness between you and me today. Therefore he named it Galid and Mizpah, for he said, The Lord watch between you and me when we are out of one another's sight. If you oppress my daughters, or if you take wives beside my daughters, although no one is with us, see, God is witness between you and me. Then Laban said to Jacob, See this heap and the pillar which I've set between you and me. This heap is a witness, and the pillar is a witness that I will not pass over this heap to you, And you will not pass over this heap and this pillar to me to do harm. The God of Abraham and the God of Nahor, the God of their father, judge between us. So Jacob swore by the fear of his father Isaac, and Jacob offered a sacrifice in the hill country. 
and called his kinsmen to eat bread. They ate bread and spent the night in the hill country. Early in the morning, Laban arose and kissed his grandchildren and his daughters and blessed them. Then Laban reparted and returned home. This is the word of the Lord. Well done, Marguerite. Well done, everyone. It's not over yet. Um, if you do have a chicken in the oven, uh, my suggestion would be a, a bit of extra gravy goes a long way towards compensating for any sort of overcooking that it might experience this morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, please speak to us by your spirit through your word this morning. Amen. At its best, uh, home is more than just a physical space. It's where we find comfort, solace, and a sense of belonging. It's where we're safe from the world and can be who we are, free from the opinions of others. It's where we dream, play, and welcome our friends. Home is the feeling that calls us back when we are away. So say IKEA. In their 10th annual Life at Home report is a document that proved more interesting than I thought it was going to be. Um, You don't even need an Allen key to read it. Um, I learned that 4% of those interviewed felt their homes might be haunted. uh, That North Americans are the people who derive the most pleasure from being at home and from watching their pets sleep. More soberingly, nearly half of those surveyed said they didn't feel at home even when they were at home. Um, Ikea's researchers suggest that, amongst other things, people are looking for comfort, solace, security, and a sense of belonging. And many people, apparently, feel lacking in one or more of those things. If you're not yet a Christian, and if you've ever felt not quite at home, even when you are at home... The Bible's fundamental explanation is this. We were made to live with God, but all of us have rebelled against him. And we are by nature alienated, exiled from him. In his kindness, in order to draw us home, God may sometimes give us a little taste of homesickness. St. Augustine said, Oh God, you have made us for yourself and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. The funny thing is that becoming a Christian can make those feelings of not quite being at home feel, if anything, even more acute. I have some lovely uh, friends who are not yet believers. I enjoy their company. But sometimes when I'm hanging out with them, I find myself thinking, goodness, your values are really not my values. Your aspirations for your children are really not my aspirations for my children. Your world and this world is not my world. And this is not my home. Christians know that only being with Jesus in his new creation will truly provide the comfort, solace, security, and the sense of belonging that we seek. That is the home that we long for. And in the meantime, the Bible calls us exiles, And the question is, will God really get us home? And our passage today shows us a God utterly committed to getting his people home. And with abundant blessing, 
We see a God able to get his people home all by himself with neither help nor hindrance from anyone else. The story of Jacob is one of many stories in the Bible with the same overall shape. Um, Exile followed by return and return with abundant blessing. If you feel that you are not at home in this world, uh, be assured through Jesus, God will get his people home with abundant blessing. We can look at the passage in um, two parts, spending most of our time uh, in the first part. And here's the big point. The Lord is with his people to return them home with abundant blessing. In the first half of our passage, we sort of get the same story told twice. First, basically just the bare facts, and then Jacob retells the same events to his wives in a way that explains their significance. He says that the Lord has been with him to return him home with abundant uh, blessing. If we've read the previous few chapters of Genesis, we'll know that this story starts with Jacob away from his homeland. Home, and it's down here in Canaan, Uh, but Jacob tricked his father Isaac and stole the blessing of his brother Esau, and he's had to flee for his life. I'm up here to Paddan Aram, which I'm almost sure is also a planet in Star Wars. Um, In chapter 28, as Jacob was about to leave the promised land, God had appeared to him in a dream and made promises to him that picked up promises he'd made previously to Jacob's grandfather Abraham and his father Isaac. God promised Jacob the land of Canaan, many offspring, and blessing. He said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, Um, the land on which you lie, uh, and the God of Isaac, the land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I've done what I've promised you. Since then, Jacob's been having a a pretty fractious time living with Laban, I'm a father-in-law who pretty nearly matches him for dishonesty. But in the passage we looked at last week, through sordid and sorry circumstances, the promise of offspring has started to come true. They might not be quite like the dust of the earth just yet, but God has provided Jacob with 11 of his eventual 12 sons. And now Jacob wants to go home. Look down with me. Chapter 30, verse 25. As soon as Rachel had born Joseph, Jacob said to Laban, send me away that I may go to my own home and country. Give me my wives and my children for whom I have served you, that I may go, for you know the service that I have given you. But Laban said to him, if I found favor in your sight, I've learned by divination that the Lord has blessed me because of you. Name your wages and I'll give it. And remember the promise, in you and your offspring, Shall all the families of the earth be blessed? It's been coming true for Laban. His association with Jacob has been making him rich. He doesn't want to lose his top revenue earner. Rather than just naming his price, Jacob does that annoying thing of sort of repeating the point that Laban has just admitted. Verse 29, Jacob said to him, You yourself know how I've served you and how your livestock has fared with me, for you had little before I came, and it's increased abundantly. And the Lord has blessed you wherever I turned. But now when shall I provide for my own household also? 
And he said, yeah, like I just said. Now, what shall I give you? Jacob said, you shall not give me anything. Well, maybe something. If you will do this for me, I will again pasture your flock and keep it. God had promised Jacob, I will bring you back to this land. But if the price is right to stay, maybe Jacob isn't that fussed about God's promises after all. Here's his price, verse 32. Let me pass through all your flock today, removing from it every speckled and spotted sheep and every black lamb and the spotted and speckled among the goats, and they shall be my wages. So my honesty, ha ha, your famous honesty, and will answer for me later when you come to look into my wages with you. Everyone that's not speckled and spotted among the goats and black among the lambs, if found with me, should be counted stolen. Apparently in the Mediterranean world, the sheep are normally white and the goats black. And so in asking for black sheep and spotty goats, um, Jacob's actually asking for a fairly low wage. But it's one he thinks Laban can agree to. Because despite his famous dishonesty, this scheme ensures that Laban can check if he's being cheated. Before we get to the funny bit with the spotty sticks, um, just notice that they do understand the normal rules of genetic inheritance here. Um, Plain goats generally produce plain goats. Um, Spotty goats generally produce spotty goats. Um, Jake is going to make his own small flock of spotty goats distinct from Laban's big flock of plain goats. If he's found later to have spotty kids amongst his flock, he's probably nicked them from Laban's um, herd. Laban jumps at the offer. Verse 34, Laban said, Good, let it be as you have said. And then he instantly comes up with a plan for not paying what he has just agreed. He's previously tricked Jacob into taking a tragically unwanted daughter off his hands and into working an extra seven years for him for the privilege. Well, here's his latest wheeze, verse 35. But that day, Laban removed the male goats that were striped and spotted and all the female goats that were speckled and spotted, everyone that had white on it and every lamb that was black and put them in the charge of his sons. Perhaps your version of the Bible says and put them in charge of his sons, which does rather make it sound like the goats are in charge, but I think it's the other way around. And he set a distance of three days' journey between himself and Jacob, and Jacob pastured the rest of Laban's now totally monochrome flock. So no spotty goats in the flock that Jacob has, none for him to extract as his wages, no pay for all his years of labor. But Jacob is not going to be outwitted. He has a plan of his own for producing spotty sheep out of plain sheep. And this is where it gets weird. Um, Is the Bible really claiming that you can produce spotty sheep using spotty sticks? Um, I checked briefly with our in-house experts, the Bugs Brothers. Um, If you don't know them, Richard is a professor of genetics and Philip is a sheep farmer, so I thought we had the bases pretty much covered. Um, They concurred with the bulk of commentators that I've read who say there isn't really a known scientific method by which getting sheep to look at spotty sticks while mating could produce spotty lambs. Of course, we don't know everything. Um, Philip wasn't really up for subjecting his flock to the kind of rigorous controlled experiments required to answer the question once for all. But let's assume this is true. One thing that makes it perhaps marginally less uh, weird is that in a couple of places where our English translations say, and since, or and so, um, the original Hebrew just has sort of and. Um, It sounds a bit less emphatic 
than our translations do, that, that one thing is really causing the other. Let me just read from verse 37. I'll use the word and every time it comes up. And Jacob took fresh sticks of poplar and almond and plane trees and peeled white streaks in them, exposing the white of the sticks. And he set the sticks that he had peeled in front of the flocks in the troughs, that is, the watering places where the flocks come to drink. And they bred when they came to drink. And the flocks bred in front of the sticks, and the flocks brought forth striped, speckled, and spotted. And Jacob separated the lambs and set the face of the flocks towards the striped and all the black in the flock of Laban. And he put his own droves apart and did not put them with Laban's flock. Whenever the stronger of the flock were breeding, Jacob would lay the sticks in the troughs before the eyes of the flock that they might breed among the sticks. And for the feeble of the flock, he would not lay them there. And the feebler would be Laban's and the stronger Jacob's. And the man increased greatly and had large flocks and female servants and male servants and camels and donkeys. Whatever the genetics of the situation. And the plot is pretty clear. Laban tries to trick Jacob into working for him for free, and Jacob out-tricks his tricker. Uh, He ends up with all the the butch sheep, if that's the correct term, and he leaves Laban with all the the wibbly-wobbly ones. And the man increased greatly. And even Jacob knows that the mechanism by which this happened, whether his sticks had anything to do with it or not, Um, is much less important than the ultimate cause. Uh, God did it. In what we've just read, there's lots of talk of sticks. And did you notice, no mention of God. And when Jacob retells the events in the following verses, there's lots of talk of God and no mention of sticks. Um, Jacob's personal flock is growing Laban's sons feel that it's at their father's expense, presumably a threat to their inheritance. So chapter 31, now Jacob heard that the sons of Laban were saying, Jacob has taken all that was our father's, and from what was our father's, he's gained all this wealth. And Jacob saw that Laban did not regard him with favor as before. Jacob is about to resolve again to leave for home, as so often with the decisions we have to make in life, and there are what the geographers call push factors and pull factors in this decision. On the push side, things are now very uncomfortable in Laban's household. On the pull side, the Lord commands him to go. And he reiterates his previous promise. Verse 3, Then the Lord said to Jacob, Return to the land of your fathers and to your kindred, and I will be with you. So Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah into the field where his flock was and said to them, now just listen to Jacob's theological retelling of the events we've just seen. He said, I see that your father does not regard me with favor as he did before, but the God of my father has been with me. You know that I've served your father with all my strength, yet your father's cheated me and changed my wages 10 times, but God did not permit him to harm me. If he said, the spotted shall be your wages, then all the flock bore spotted. And if he said the striped should be your wages, then all the flock bore striped. They mention the sticks, and God did it. Thus God has taken away the livestock of your father and given them to me. And then we hear about an event that there was no mention of in the previous chapter, verse 10. In the breeding season of the flock, he says, I lifted up my eyes and saw in a dream that the goats that mated with the flock were striped, spotted, and mottled. 
Then the angel of God said to me in the dream, Jacob, and I said, here I am. And he said, lift up your eyes and see. All the goats that mate with the flock are striped, spotted, and mottled. For I've seen all that is Laban is, uh, I've seen all that Laban is doing to you. I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed a pillar and made a vow to me. Now arise, go out from this land, and return to the land of your kindred. Maybe this dream happened before Jacob even asked for the spotty sheep. It explains his request for those. Maybe it happened before he found himself with this monochrome flock. It explains his attempt to to get spotty sheep with the spotty sticks. I'm not actually sure. The angel didn't command Jacob to do anything um, to produce these spotty livestock. He just assured him that God had seen Laban's mistreatment of him and God was providing for him. And he reminded him of his previous encounter with God at Bethel. The only command here is for him to go home. It's a command that Jacob now seems finally ready to obey. What will his wives say? Verse 14, then Rachel and Leah answered and said to him, is there any portion or inheritance left to us in our father's house? Are we not regarded by him as foreigners? For he has sold us and indeed devoured our money. All the wealth that God has taken away from our father belongs to us and to our children. Now then, whatever God has said to you, do. I think we haven't really heard until now how Leah and Rachel felt about their father's deceptive scheme to marry them both off to Rachel. But here it is. He sold us. And he robbed them. I guess because Jacob paid in labor, there was no money to pass on to them as would have been normal. There are no emotional ties stopping uh, these women from leaving their father's house. And so verse 17, Jacob arose and set his sons and his wives on camels. He drove away all his livestock, all his property that he'd gained, the livestock in his possession that he acquired in Paddan Aram to go to the land of Canaan to his father Isaac. Jacob had left the land of Canaan as a single man, sleeping under the stars with a rock for a pillow. Look at him now as he sets off for home. The livestock, the property, the family. How did that happen? Well, it certainly wasn't a result of Jacob's great goodness. It wasn't really a result of any of his clever plans. It was because the Lord makes promises to people who don't deserve them, and the Lord is utterly unrelentingly determined to keep his promises. The Lord has been with Jacob to return him home with abundant blessing. And that is a consistent pattern in the Bible. You can have fun over lunch. I'm thinking of more exile and return shaped stories in the Bible. There are loads of them. And lots of them are told in a way that's supposed to remind you of the other ones. Let's just pick one. Think of the Exodus. Um, At the end of the book of Genesis, Jacob Uh, now with 70 family members, will again leave Canaan, this time for Egypt. 400 years later, a great nation of his descendants will return from Egypt to Canaan, taking enough Egyptian gold and silver with them um, to cover a tabernacle. It's exactly in line with God's promise to Abraham back in Genesis 15. Your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and be servants there, and they'll be afflicted for 400 years but I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. 
And we're supposed to learn a general principle. Will God really get us home? Yes. The Lord is with his people to return them home with abundant blessing. More briefly, we're not going to reread every verse in this second section. Um, The Lord will return his people home without help or hindrance. Actually, in lots of these um, exile and return shaped stories in the Bible, there is some kind of Pharaoh character out to stop God's plans. And there are also totally powerless false gods, which emphasizes the unique power of the Lord. And I think that's what this next section is adding with Laban's opposition to Jacob's return and these pathetic household gods who do nothing whatsoever. I think the point is that the Lord is going to overcome all opposition and return Jacob home all by himself. Chapter 31, verse 19. Laban had gone to shear his sheep and Rachel stole her father's household gods. And Jacob tricked Laban the Aramean by not telling him that he intended to flee. He fled with all that he had and arose and crossed the Euphrates up there and set his face toward the hill country of Gilead down there, just on the edge of the promised land. When it was told Laban on the third day that Jacob had fled, he took his kinsman with him and pursued him for seven days and followed close after him into the hill country of Gilead. Like Pharaoh pursuing the Israelites as they flee Egypt. But God came to Laban the Aramean in a dream by night and said to him, be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad, by which he really means um, don't threaten him. He catches up with him. And he has this not very believable sob story about how he's not angry, he's just disappointed because he really wanted to throw a going away party for the grandchildren. And then he says, verse 29, it is in my power to do you harm, but the God of your father spoke to me last night saying, be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. It isn't in his power to do Jacob harm. Back in verse 7, Jacob had said that amidst all the wage changes, God did not permit him to harm me. God got the flock to pop out whatever colour goats Jacob needed. Now God has prevented Laban from harming Jacob precisely by speaking to him in that dream. God won't permit Laban to stop him from getting Jacob home. Verse 30, and now, says Laban, you've gone away because you longed greatly for your father's house. That's understandable. But why did you steal my gods? And there's the real reason that Laban has spent a week hunting down Jacob. Not because he's got balloons for the grandchildren, but because he wants to get his idols back. Jacob, not knowing that Rachel has indeed stolen Laban's household gods, vehemently protests his innocence. In fact, Rachel is sitting on them, and she says it's her time of the month, so she's not going to get up. And so Laban doesn't find them. And Jacob, feeling vindicated, although in fact he shouldn't, and he pours out this indignant speech about how bad he's been treated for Laban over the last 20 years. I think he's been practicing it in front of the mirror. Um, Let's pick it up at the end. Verse 41. These 20 years I've been in your house... I served you 14 years for your two daughters, six years for your flock, and you've changed my wages 10 times. If the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac had not been on my side, surely now you'd have sent me away empty-handed. God saw my affliction and the labor of my hands, 
as God would later see Israel oppressed in Egypt and rebuked you last night. Whatever else we're to make of this episode, um, here's one thing that's clear. Rachel might value these gods enough to risk her father's wrath by stealing them. And Laban might value them enough to spend a whole week of sheep shearing season chasing them down. But the truth is that they're worthless. And that is surely being illustrated by their humiliating position sandwiched between a camel and a sanitary pad. These gods are the sort of thing you might pop in a saddlebag if you've got a bit of space after you pack the essentials. And they are helpless pawns in a family feud, while the true God is orchestrating every moving part in the story to get his people home. He doesn't need help, and no opposition can hinder him. The whole story ends with Laban and Jacob entering, entering into an odd sort of covenant and building a pillar and a heap of stones to commemorate it. It's a pretty negative sort of covenant, a kind of let's agree to disagree sort of an agreement. In fact, they can't even agree on what to call the memorial. Verse 47, Laban called it Jigar Sahadutha, but Jacob, who probably couldn't pronounce that like I can't, called it Galid. And the only purpose is to remind the parties to well, to leave each other alone. And verse 52, Laban says, this heap is a witness and the pillar is a witness that I will not pass over this heap to you. You will not pass over this heap and this pillar to me to do harm. The God of Abraham and the God of Nahor, the God of their father, judge between us. So Jacob swore by the fear of his father Isaac and Jacob offered a sacrifice in the hill country and called his kinsmen to eat bread. They ate bread and spent the night in the hill country Early in the morning, Laban arose and kissed his grandchildren and his daughters and blessed them. Then Laban departed and returned home. It's a sad ending for Laban. It's the last time we hear of him in the Bible, I think. Um, he had known something of God's blessing by associating himself with Jacob. But now he's leaving Jacob behind. Now the only blessing that he has is the one on his own lips. Much good may that do him. It's a slightly encouraging sign for Jacob, I think. I think we'll perhaps we'll see more of this next week. Um, but over the course of this story, um, Jacob does seem to be growing in his understanding of the Lord and his alignment with God's promises. Twice in this section, he calls God the fear of his father Isaac. Um, he's embracing his ancestors' right reverence for the one true God. The Lord will return his people home without help or hindrance from anyone else. Whether or not you feel like you're at home when you're at home, and the truth is that you aren't, not really. And buying another Billy bookcase is not going to fix it. God made us for himself. And whether or not our hearts feel particularly restless... Uh, the truth is that we will not be at home until we find our rest in him. And it's sin that has led to humanity's estrangement, our exile from God. And God himself has come in the person of his son Jesus to deal with that sin. Actually, Jesus underwent his own exile and return journey 
death and resurrection in order to take away our sin and to offer us new life, a life truly at home with him and his father in his perfect new creation. In our evening services, we've been looking at John's gospel where Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you through his death on the cross? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. It's a good sign if, as Christians, we don't feel quite at home in this world. And it's because God has already begun the process of bringing us to our true home through Jesus and home with the abundant blessing of seeing Jesus face to face, of being in a place with no more sin or sickness or sadness or suffering or death, of having everything we need to perfectly enjoy life with Jesus and with one another forever. And be assured, through Jesus, God will get his people home with abundant blessing. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen.